Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Eliana? Hi, Dom. So I thought what we could talk about today is a question that often comes up from people is around, they know a lot about describing the styles, measuring them, talking to people through that awareness and acceptance phase. But sometimes where people struggle with is around action, particularly with the passive styles. So what I'd be interested in discussing today is what are some thought starters, some ideas for where people can go if they're coaching someone who's perhaps on the passive side of the circumplex? What's some stuff, some ideas that they could start with at least? Yeah. For moving forward into actions with those people. Really, really common question. It's funny. I've, I felt a little apprehension around you know, diving into this one. Um, and if you've listened to the other podcasts that we've had on tips, my top tips for debriefing, it's my reasoning around feeling challenged by this is because every individual is an expert on them. Mm. Having said that, though, realistically, I've come across clients that turn to you and go, I get it. I get the feedback, but what do I do? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know what? I think it's helpful to have a couple of tips with the um, caveat, if you like, that it may not necessarily be the right thing for your client, but it's certainly it will be a thought starter, if you like, on what you could do. And that's it. So it's not high in approval equals must do this. Yeah. And high in dependent equals must do that. There's a context. And so everyone's different. And so you, you have to play it into the context. But I think what would be awesome is just some ideas at least to get people started and I think if you have that starting point you can then spiral off into some other areas you know because now you know something more so with that said hmm. if we if we then okay. go through if your approval you must do this no if but what are some ideas so if we went through passive styles particularly maybe at a cluster level what yeah. what are the kind of things you're so, looking at generally so there are some common themes right that emerge you know, if we, so if we do talk about it at a cluster level, a high level of green thinking and behaviour suggests that individuals might be struggling to come forward to speak you know, their whole truth, so to speak. They might be holding back a bit, um, not sharing what they really think. They could be feeling a bit of self-doubt and might find it difficult to kind of get traction on things, you know, feel a bit stuck. Uh-huh. And so that kind of characterises some of the things that people might feel when they're stuck in that passive, defensive place. And so, you know, from a behavioural point of view, you might see them doing things like checking in frequently, high levels of agreeableness, taking on too much because they're challenged to say no to things. Uh You might also find them getting quite uncomfortable where there's not very prescriptive rules or processes around them in order to kind of direct their activity. So in that note, sort of within that frame of mind, you, I guess a couple of ways that I look at goal setting or actions for individuals, regardless of which cluster you're moving from and to, and that is that change can be behavioral, it can be in thinking, and it can be in your language. And it's about exploring what are the patterns that exist for you and what can you do to shift out of them if if they're causing you cost. Because all of these styles are helpful to you to a certain point. We know that when you spend too much time there, they usually come at a cost to you or others. And so that's often how we try and frame it up. So there can be a perception out there that circumplex is about good and bad and so on, and that's really not what it's about. It's 
that is about effectiveness and, and being less effective. And with something like passive styles, there's a payoff to doing it. There's a reason why people yeah. go to that passive space and because it, that's because it works for them on some level for some reason, yeah. right? So, you know, if if you're in an environment where it's, it is dangerous to say something, then passive styles make sense, That's right? perhaps where you want to stay for now, yeah. If people don't do things because they're crazy, right? They do it for a reason. So it works for them for some extent. The trade-off of that is that, hey, we're not actually progressing forward. We can't get things done yep. if we're talking about the passive space. Yeah, so at a high level, um, usually the, the cost or the burn is on your own sense of achievement oh. or your own achievement of goals, sense of self-worth, clarity, where you want to go and what you want to do. Because oh. so, you're stuck. Yeah, you you're stuck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the... You know, some of the things that you might get people to do is to start to get clear on what it is you want to achieve. And, and that can be kind of a big leap in the early phase for individuals to articulate. So you might get them to, particularly if it's in conversation, because they're very conscious of others and what, how what you say lands with others, if you're sort of high on some of those approval styles, for example. So you might actually get individuals just to start journaling, you know, what are the things that are important to me? What do I want to achieve? As a way of removing the security through people element to take them out of uh, that and have an unapologetic moment with yourself just to capture some things that are of importance to you. Right, because you're saying if they're doing it in conversation, they may be playing into their style, which everyone will do. And so if they're high on approval, then they're going to play that out. But in a journal, you can be maybe more frank and more straight. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah, so sometimes if if people are in that sort of hypervigilant state around real, really conscious of others, we're talking high, high, high end here green if you remove the people element from the situation and just get individuals comfortable with you know maybe they have a conversation with themselves you know whatever it is journaling is one way around that which seems a bit quirky for some people to kind of do but capturing your thoughts is a great way of lowering some of your anxieties and crystallizing what is actually already in you but you haven't been able to articulate which is another challenge i think that people sit in passive defensive clusters feel a difficulty articulating their own wants, needs, and desires. And I think journaling can be a challenge for some people, but it's not journaling like I woke up and I had this for breakfast, right? It's more around <laughs> the insights is what you're interested in. So particularly standout events of things that they notice about, you know, their particular style, whatever they're trying to do to, to grow and develop, mm. so stuff around that. So it doesn't need to be an exhaustive kind of war and peace chapter. Yeah. But deeply emotional if you feel uncomfortable doing that it could just be about capturing some notes around uh-huh. you know what do you enjoy doing most yeah right yeah so it's really around those goals yeah and yeah. It's, it's getting them towards setting some goals sometimes it's just a big leap you know for people that have not necessarily put their needs in the frame it can be a big leap to then ask them to set a goal and so starting with some small steps uh-huh. around what energizes you what do you get excited about and so that's at a cluster level. Mm. If we kind of drill down into yeah. some of the, the styles under that passive defensive cluster, yep. you talked about thinking, behavior, and language. Yes. So tell me more about that and maybe we can use an example from, from approval. Yeah. So approval, if you think about it, is characterized at its highest level around needing to be liked by others. So typically people who are high in approval, and it's common style, sits really close to affiliative, right? So there's some satisfaction in being liked by others. But when it becomes you preoccupied, you'll be spending a lot of time determining what you need to say in order for other people to approve of you. 
Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that people high in approval might struggle to say no or to disagree with others out of a fear of falling out of favour with people. And so underpinning that style is, is somewhat of a fear around that relational element. And so some of the things, you know, some of the questions you might ask individuals high in approval, you know, do you find it difficult to say no to people? And typically they'll say, yes, I am very uncomfortable with that. So a technique that I have used in the past to get individuals to practice is not necessarily say no, but why don't you start when you, let's say you're in a work situation and you're the the person that people go to frequently, remembering that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. The more you do it, the more you get asked to do it. it. And you know what? You do it with a smile on your face. So people think, well, this person's actually happy to do it too. Um, So I would get them instead of saying yes immediately to, to allow some space between that yes. And that might be, you know, can I reassess my priorities and get back to you or start asking some questions around what is the urgency of this request? Where does it sit in the scheme of things? And, you know, again, can I get back to you? Which allows some space. It's not doesn't mean you're saying no, but it means you're allowing some time to go back and reevaluate where does this sit realistically with the rest of my priorities and then revisit that conversation. That's one tip that I think has worked quite well for some individuals. And so it's really creating that gap between thinking and response. Yes. Right? So totally. so we talk about you know, situation plus thinking equals response. And so situation is whatever. It's the person coming up to you asking, can you do this for me? Thinking is your LSI 1, so your lens that you go through, and then your responses around your LSI 2. And really the more time we can have between the situation and the response and more time in that thinking zone – we can actually change our response, mm, essentially, right? Choose the response. We can choose how we think about it and so on. So so that sounds like it's really trying to create more of that gap. So more I've distance. got more time to actually think and respond rather than just kind of, you know, straight out yeah. whatever comes to mind. And that's make a valid point there. I mean, these are just patterns of behavior, they're habits, and they feel so natural and normal. So we are, in a sense, the LSI 1 and 2, putting some, creating some distance between or creating some awareness rather, so that you can then create space to choose a path that will produce more effective outcomes for all involved. Because ultimately, you know, if you continue in that vein, what tends to happen is people become a bit resentful after a while and they can feel a bit out of control because they're saying yes, yes, yes. So it's, it comes back to that sustainability. Is it sustainable for you to constantly give to others without evaluating those decisions? Because it's putting yourself second really, isn't it? Yes. Especially... It's a really easy way to lead to burnout is always saying yes. But it's so tempting to do. And I think we all at times can fall into that mm. that trap, right? Very easy to do. And I think it's one of those things with approval style. We all want to be liked, mm. right? And it's not about not wanting to be liked, but it's when you need to be liked. So I, I can't possibly kind of say no. Yeah. Because I'm afraid of that. What other ones for approval would you So suggest? the other well, the other challenge, I think, is around the thinking. Um uh. I'll come back to disagreeing with people. That's another another fun one that you can work with. But thoughts, so, you know, in those moments when you create the space is your opportunity to listen to some of that dialogue and challenge it. And so you can either in your mind, in terms of thinking, you can start to ask yourself, where does this sit relative to my priorities, this thing that people are asking me to do? Or what's important to me in terms of what do I need to achieve today or this week? or this month, what's my high priority goal here? So flick it up to an achievement question, which you can really just do as a thought process. High approval individuals will 
tend to be concerned with what others need and what others want. So what do I need from this? What will I gain? Putting yourself back in the frame through some thought processes. The other thing I mentioned in terms of behaviours that seem to be habitual in higher approval is discomfort in disagreeing with others. So Uh. may not disagree. And so sometimes it can be helpful with some language techniques to help people not to say, I disagree with you, but say things like, well, I have a, can I share a different view? You know, so high approval might find themselves agree, being agreeable frequently. And so what it means is that people don't necessarily know where they really stand on issues. So giving some language platforms to get you off the, off the bench, so to speak, that's an interesting view. Can I share an alternative view? So it's not disagreeing, but it might be broadening the perspectives. It can also be, so I mean, I think what's interesting about what you're saying is it's not about necessarily decreasing your approval style, but growing your achievement in this mm. case, it sounds like, right? So talking about what's thinking to yourself, what's the priority? What am I, what am I trying to achieve? And creating the space for that. And disagreeing, I think, what can be useful as well is moving away from the advocacy approach of I think this, you think that, now we're going to go to battle with our egos on who's right mm. and who's wrong, and moving more towards a doing it by the ideas. So we've got option A, we've got option B. Here's what's good about option A. Here's what's good about option B. Because then you're not disagreeing with the person directly, right? And you don't start tying up egos in that. Yeah. But you're talking about talking to the ideas. Actually, yeah, there's a great technique in there as well about acknowledging others' ideas and what you like about it. Mm. And then just building what you just said then, you know, exploring alternatives as well. Mm. Yeah, totally. Instead of just kind of putting different viewpoints forward. Okay. So that was around the kind of thinking, behaving and language. Mm. What about for conventional? Conventional. Ooh. Conventional is a tricky one. I used to struggle with this initially. Why is that? Why is that? Because if I think about some of uh, working with some clients that are high on conventional, it's sometimes the preoccupation is with established rules, procedures, processes. So they will be looking for what is what is the way I should be approaching this? So you might find yourself in a debrief with individuals high and conventional really asking you for some very prescribed ways of changing. Uh Everyone plays out their style. Yeah. And so in the early days, I found that difficult because I then would take responsibility. You'd fill the gap. Fill the gap. Well, that's that's a really interesting point though around if you're working with someone who's got the style and so maybe they're in your team or something, you're Mm -hmm. their manager, you've got to be careful that you don't reinforce that behavior yeah. by filling that by gap providing constantly. all of the infrastructure exactly. yeah and it's it's been a really interesting learning for me people who are high on conventional typically don't respond very well to open-ended questions because mm. they're not really sure where they're going where are you taking me with this mm. and i've really found that i've had to be very clear and create some real structure around why i'm asking the question and what the result is i'm, I'm trying to achieve from that to give that individual a degree of comfort around the ambiguity because typically Uh it's uncomfortable if I don't know where this is going and why. So when you understand that ambiguity can trigger a threat state in people who have high conventional, they also tend to kind of want to know what's the acceptable way of doing things, you know, so what's the right way I should be approaching this? And it can sound a bit like dependent style. And some of the things I might get individuals to do is to shake up a routine a little bit, just to kind of, you know, get comfortable with, you know, discomfort, get comfortable with change. And it could be anything from the the bus route that you take to work 
or how you drive to get to work to you know how you approach tasks it could be any kind of routine just to see what they notice about changing that routine so it could be around things with their with their team at work about how they approach even team meetings or how they interact together trying something new what's a new approach we can take yeah. to doing this so it's kind of almost a like a practice like you know just trying something new and seeing uh the results and flexing that muscle or whatever it's like you know pump an iron or something just have a go is, uh you know you got to you got to build the muscle up i guess is yeah what i'm trying to say yes the um yeah and so you, you can start with some low stakes i suppose in that in mm-hmm. that vein you know if you're going to build the muscle start with something that's lighter and then move towards the heavier items what else what else do i the, suggest with conventional the thing for me that i'd throw in if i can go for it. cut in is conventional is about people following rules and procedures kind of unquestionably yeah right so there's a rule so i'll follow it and it keeps them safe because if something goes wrong i can say well i was just following the rules right i'm supposed to do abc and that's what i did and if that didn't work then it's because it's the rules fault it's not my fault so that's why it's a security style and so i think a really important mindset so thinking reframe is around is to that achievement space what are we trying to achieve so what is the rule trying to achieve and it's not that rules are are wrong right we need we need rules if there are no road rules then it would be chaos out there on the highway so you need a certain amount of rules because they make sense there's a reason for them mm-hmm. there's a purpose to these rules and so it's taking the time to question okay what of the rules that i'm following which ones actually make sense and which don't and challenging the ones that could be better or don't make sense yeah and that's moving into the achievement mindset of, okay, why Why is it a rule? Why is it important? Why is it something we adhere to rather than just blindly following it? It's it's written, therefore, I do. Getting clear on the outcome, the why. So definitely. the why, it's all about the why, exactly. And so one of the other things I've noticed about individuals who are high and conventional is that you'll find when you know giving instruction, they will be the people that will be asking for quite a lot of detail. How, you know, is this right? Wow. Um, is this what you suggest? And so I sometimes get individuals to monitor when they go into that, dipping into that, requesting for more detailed structure to hit the pause button and just maybe ask themselves a question like, well, how do I want to approach this task? What would bring more joy, which is kind of a self-actualizing um, type of question. Wow. So catching yourself when you're doing it and ask yourself a different question that will redirect. Uh-huh. Um, so opposed, as opposed to finding what is the established acceptable way to do this what will make this fun for me oh, yep there's an idea yeah a little different and i mean it could even be like green greenfield thinking so if there was no process what would you do and why you know it could be a fun activity yeah cool so if that's conventional then dependent so yeah what's dependent about and what can people what kind of actions would they be looking in there dependent often misunderstood when i hear people talk about it Sometimes they talk about the behaviours they see independent as, you know, needy and all these different things. And I feel a pang of kind of discomfort when I hear that because at the heart of dependent is, you know, a really part of self-doubt and feeling like your effort doesn't make a difference. Ah. There's something in there that's around self-confidence, belief in your own abilities. And it might mean you see people are hesitant to commit. They might use hesitant language, check in frequently set goals that are achievable versus very achievable versus something that will stretch them. So they really are playing out their style if you observe those behaviours of, of a lack of confidence in self. 
And um, so it's giving away your decision making yeah. to someone else, right? So it's in a work context, it's around instead of me making the decision, it's deferring it upwards to my manager. Yes. Maybe. Or not making a decision can be sometimes. Yeah. Or is that a, maybe that's avoidance, but it's around going to my manager and saying, you know, tell me what to do to some extent, right? And yeah, I think dependence, an interesting one because I think it, like I said earlier, it takes two to tango. So this can be driven from yeah. from managers as well. But there's still something you can always do about it. Yes, there is. So you can always drive that too. So, so what should people be looking at if that's a style? I think you raise a really important point there that there will be some potentially some cultural elements or some leadership styles that might be playing independent. But if we're shining a light on it, most people don't like the way it makes them feel. So let's talk about some opportunities Uh What can you do? What can you do? What can you take back to give yourself a sense of achievement? You notice we keep flicking back up to achievement, self-actualizing, talking about green. One of the really interesting techniques that I get individuals to do is with their language, because I guess you could call it a behavioral action as well, monitor their use of qualifiers. So you might hear people saying things like, I don't know, but maybe if we approach it this way. So there's some hesitation. Uh, They might say things like, really sorry to ask this of you, but, you know. So being mindful of, of that language and removing the qualifiers either in your emails or how you communicate with people and being more assertive. So this is what I'd like to do and I just do, leave it. I do that with myself sometimes. I'll write an email and then read back through it. I'm like, Why am I putting all this maybe ifs and so on in there? And it's not to reduce it down so it's super blunt, right? Because mm. some of that's just around, you know, how people expect a message and so on. But some of it is like, that was completely unnecessary. <laughs> you know, let's take that out. Yeah. So, I mean, it's an interesting one in emails because you get a chance to edit yourself before you send it. Well, this is, and this is the interesting thing, right? That's another question that you might ask someone in, you know, in a debrief. Do you labor over those things? Do you spend a lot of time kind of crafting the email mm. before you send it because you're worried about how it might land with others? That's, mm. That is quite a common thing that people resonate with in that green space. And it sometimes comes from approval or dependent, you know, just depends on the individual. And the other thing I'll pick up just based on your comment before about it could be in relation with a manager. And so we were having this conversation the other day. If you feel like you're having to check in frequently and you can't make decisions, there is the opportunity to simply clarify your decision-making authority with someone because it may be that you have the perception that you can't make decisions. And so Go and have the conversation. This is what I, I feel sort of locked in terms of making decisions here. Can we get clear about where my authority is to to make some decisions? And I think a lot of that is, so in companies, you know, if you don't know what your budget is, if you don't know what your decision-making span is, then it means you kind of have to keep going back to the manager because you don't know where your boundaries are. Yeah. So what can I do? And so I think that's also a great tip for managers if you've got someone in your team you think is dependent and they keep pushing things up to you it's probably a sign that they they're just not clear on what they can actually make decisions on yeah and so if you're crystal clear on that and then if you lay that out clearly and you can use different techniques there's ones around you know there's certain tasks that only i can approve as the manager Mm. right there's certain things firing someone maybe (laughs) right could be a, a manager only responsibility certain things that you need to check with me before you make that decision there's certain things you can make the decision and then tell me, and mm. then there's certain things that you can just go for it, mm. go for your life. And it's probably separating, go through with them what fits into those different categories. 
Because if you're crystal clear on it and then they come to you with a decision that they should just be making on their own, but they want to check it with you first, you can actually push back and say, no, yeah. you know, you can make that decision, go for it. Yep. And so if you have it written down in a bit of framework, that can be really powerful. So you, that could either be for a manager or for the, the team member. It's useful for both to clarify yeah. what Great they technique. can actually do. The other, the other thing I get individuals to think about, so how do you catch yourself in that moment? So when you're going to check in with someone else, just ask yourself the question, you know, what do I believe is the best course of action here? What's the worst that can happen? How about I ask for forgiveness rather than permission or just give it a go back yourself? You know, things that you can say to yourself or ask yourself a question of to kind of move you from checking in to kind of taking action on your own. And it can be if you're going, you know, a different way about it as well as if you're going to your manager rather than going to your manager saying, what should I do? Mm. Coming with the solution at least, right? So so that can be the baby step towards you know, full independence kind of thing can be like this situation has happened. I think we should do this for ABC reason. Yeah, what are your thoughts? What do you reckon? And so that's an intermediate step that's moving you along, right? So rather than coming and saying, ABC's happened, what should I do? Mm-hmm. Right? It's quite a different s- statement. I think we should do blah, 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 whatever it may be. And then going from there, and they might just say, sounds great, go. Hopefully that's what they say. Yeah. You know? and, and I think by doing that, and if you can do that consistently, you start realizing, well, hey, actually, I got this. 95% of the time I get it right. Yeah. So. And it boosts your confidence uh, and your sense of achievement. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. So rather than going with the question, go with the solution. Yeah. With a question on it, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And then, so is there anything else under dependent or you want to go to avoidance? Let's go to avoidance. Okay. So what's avoidance about mm-hmm. and how do you work in there? So avoidance, I feel usual. Uh, it's unusual for it to play on its own. So mm. when we talk about mutually reinforcing styles, there's usually combination, which we can explore a little bit. Remembering avoidance when we're talking about it at its high level can be a response to some kind of traumatic event or change. So it could be a moment in time. If you think about defensive styles as coping mechanisms, they're there for a reason. Mm. So sometimes we go to withdrawal for a very good reason. Mm. So it can be a moment in time. It plays together with other styles. And so what you tend to see is a bit of withdrawal. You might see someone who is who won't go to the heart of the matter. So I often notice in teams where there is high avoidance behaviours, there's a lot of talk but not a lot of clarity. So you can feel a bit confused with what people are saying. Mm. Some people joke and say politicians also do this. Hmm. Um, so don't. Just not real clarity around what's going on. So you can find yourself in a debrief with someone high in avoidance. Kind of sometimes it's challenging to just sort of nail down what's actually going on here. That's the, the play to what's going on. And, and so we've said it before, but we'll say it again: is when you're debriefing someone, and if they're high in avoidance, then guess what? They're going to play that style out yeah. in the debrief. And I recently had a situation where I was working with a client, and there was a lot. I would call it a, a very expanded LSI one profile. So a lot was going on. A lot of defensive, dominant, cluster, aggressive, defensive, but a lot of avoidance as well. And I noticed that his attention simply wasn't on the circumplex. And I kept trying to draw him back. Wow. Thinking this is my job to draw you back, <laughs> you know, getting now really in that point I probably should have closed the book and just kind of addressed what was really bothering him. But the behaviour, although he was involved in the conversation, was very much not interested in the circumplex and taking me elsewhere. Wow. And it was one of the more challenging debriefs I've had. And so avoidance can be a tricky one, right? So being able to first just 
acknowledge when it's going on in the room is helpful as a practitioner to kind of empathize with the fact that there's something at that point in time for them that is resisting you know, going there. And so you need to kind of just be mindful of that and probably spend quite a bit of time building some rapport. There's something dangerous about it. That's why they've gone to mm. avoidance, right? It's the, most, it's the most security orientated of all the styles. It's at that six o'clock position. Yeah. And it represents an unmet need of some description. So there's something that is causing that person to feel threatened because they, they don't, either don't feel trust or, or something's going on that's putting them into security mode or threat state. So this can be a tricky one because how do you get movement with someone who's hmm. going to avoidance, right? It's kind of the opposite of what you're trying to do. So yeah. how do you get that momentum with them? How do you start shifting it? So sometimes you won't. Oh. Let's just put that out there. I've had one or two clients in the past who, you know, these are your clients who will say yes to a follow-up session but not show up. Uh. And so sometimes they won't. One of the things I've found helpful, I said earlier that the style plays together, so they will play with others. I'll give you an example, perfectionistic and avoidance. Now, the reason I'm encouraging exploring the relationship is because often the reason we go to avoidance is linked to something else. Uh, so approval, uh, oppositional, on. is that what you said? Oppositional avoidance? Well, I was actually, in that instance, it's perfectionistic yeah, avoidance, right. but we can also look at I see that all avoidance. the time. Yeah. yeah. So... An example, high perfectionistic, high avoidance, someone who is preoccupied with being getting things done perfectly, mm. obtaining perfect results, getting into the minutia. Now that might that level of anxiety that's attached to appearing perfect and doing things perfectly can result in, you know, delay, doing nothing that's not perfect. Mm. And so you start to see that avoidance on its own is not telling the whole picture. In fact, a thing that's driving this person to avoidance is this high need for perfection. And so exploring the relationship between the styles is, is really important to understand how it manifests. Yeah, so what's, dri what's actually driving it, getting yeah. to that, yep. The other relationship I see commonly working is a lot of sort of passive defensive styles together. So if it's sort of primary and secondary is approval, avoidance, my preoccupation with other people liking me it means that I might agree a lot, go along with a lot, I might be loading myself up with a lot of work, which then means I can't meet those requirements and delay, 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 because mm. I haven't actually said, no, I can't help you with that. That's not a priority. So you might find individuals playing in that deep green space, very hard to sort of pin down because they've said yes to everyone, but haven't really taken control of their time. And so they end up being the ones you can't really get hold of. You can't get them to run the emails. I think every organization has this person and can probably relate. I, th I think at times we all go down there too. Yes. I know um, there's a certain sales representative who's trying to call me constantly and I'm, <laughs> I haven't called them back because I just don't want to have the conversation. So I think we can all camp down there sometimes. Yes. We've got to tell them I'm not interested. Yes, we can. Um, <laughs> so, so we're all down there sometimes. And I guess that's what it is with avoidance. It's a lot about you actually disagree. Right, they could be saying you want to say, but you're avoiding saying it mm. because, for whatever reason, you think the person's going to take it badly, or it might not be the easiest route for yourself because yeah. it's a difficult conversation. And so, how do you kind of get someone in that avoidance space to go towards, you know, how to have those perhaps difficult conversations? So, first, identifying what it is, you know, to all. You know, to, to the extent the individual will come forward, but you want to identify what it is they're actually avoiding, what's driving it. So once you've established that in your example, say, there's a, let's just say there's a discomfort mm. in 
in letting someone down. I think the opportunity at that point is a reframing and a reframing question that really takes them to achievement. So what is your responsibility in this? You know, getting self that if the discomfort is around what other people, you know, letting someone down and then being disappointed, what's another way to look at it? Okay, so what's the benefit from being honest with this person? What do you stand to gain? Yeah, what is your role in this? And I think often it's like it's going to continue until you address it. Yeah. Often, right? What's the cost of staying there too long? So, you know, Alex, if you're listening, <laughs> you know, he keeps calling, right? <laughs> and so what do I get by avoiding it is just more phone calls and it gets more and more awkward in a way, yes. right? And it actually kind of snowballs. So I think, you know, really, you know, good thing about being constructive is addressing stuff yeah. straight up rather, rather than running away is being proactive. Yeah. And so you might ask individuals, well, how does it make you feel sitting on that? How do you mm. feel right now? Because it's anxious. Yeah, it's kind of icky. You know, what's going to help you feel better about that? Resolving it exactly. Mm. Yeah, and but it's usually like a short-term pain for a long-term gain. So you, I guess it's asking people, what's the long-term gain, right? So what's the benefit of addressing this? Yeah, and getting them to focus there, and then is it worth the short-term pain? Yeah, and I guess that's a calculation they have to make for yeah. themselves. I mean, it's a yeah, it's a. Deep avoidance is a tough one and I often find if someone is deep in avoidance, you know, it can be in relation to something traumatic that's going on. So, for example, this scenario I was sharing with you just before, I actually met with the client again, closed the book and just had a, a conversation about what was going on for them because what I noticed was, you know, at that point probably wasn't the right time to be doing feedback. So let's just have a human conversation one-on-one uh-huh. and that seemed to work quite well. Sometimes you just got to take the data out of the conversation and just be a friend to someone, someone they didn't listen to. And that's probably trying to get to what's actually driving that avoidance. Is there some probably some situation that's going on for yeah. them? And so it might be getting to the heart of that matter. Yeah. And if we are in a, a place where we're withdrawing, you know, isolating is not a great solution if you've got a lot going on. So just getting someone to kind of put things out on the table can be very beneficial to Mm. move forward. Absolutely. Well, in that spirit, I better uh, go give Alex a call (laughs) and uh, address that with him. Yes. Nice way to start the weekend, (laughs) Get it off your plate. You do it on a Friday afternoon. It's like when politicians have bad news, they bury it on a Friday (laughs) at uh, 4 p.m. Because then you you can skip out the door. No one's listening. That is not a tip for doing it. <laughs> Don't listen to that. But um, so maybe if we summarize a little, so what's kind of the takeaways you want people to take? The key takeaways understand the origin of the styles for the individuals, so what they're experiencing, and then have a think about ways to help them shift in terms of using different behavior patterns, thinking questions that they could ask themselves in the moment and some like use of language mm. to help shift people out of the passive space and into a constructive space. That language is, I think is both how you speak to other people but also how you talk to yourself. So what's your internal monologue saying and can you reframe that? Yes. All right Liana, thanks for your time today. Thanks Don. I hope that's useful and look forward to the next episode. Mm-hmm.